I'm Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everyone. Today, my guest is writer, speaker, activist, and the founder of the nonprofit organization and movement, Love Beyond Walls. Terrence Lester is the author of I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. Thank you, Terrence, for being my guest today. Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm glad to be your guest. I'm glad to have you. I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about why you wrote the book, I know it has to do with Love Beyond Walls, but your own story has some homelessness and some need in it as well. So it's a personal story, too. I guess really the, the inspiration for wanting to write this book is to uh, open the eyes of individuals who may uh, have fear towards mm-hmm. people experiencing homelessness and poverty or uh, you know, may have some questions about it, mm-hmm. or even I, I wrote it for people who who are like using secondhand information mm-hmm. uh, to kind of like uh, I guess define what people are like who experience experience mm-hmm. the plight. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You have something I thought was really interesting on page twenty two. You really challenge readers. You say, take a moment and ask yourself, how do I see the poor? What do I believe to be true of those experiencing homelessness and poverty? And maybe more importantly, evaluate where those beliefs come from. And you, you ask people to um, redefine poverty, poverty as a lack of access. And uh, maybe you could unpack that a little bit, why poverty is not seen that way and, and why that um, redefinition is necessary. Yeah, I, I think poverty is is like not necessarily seen as being a lack of access because people uh, have this idea that because we live in a country with um, you know under a democracy and we have so many uh, freedoms that you know everybody has the ability to just pull themselves up by uh, the bootstraps, right? Mm. Uh, we've heard this. Uh, said many times, but in most cases, that's not always true. Um, also, uh, people have these common mis, you know, uh, misperceptions of like who the poor are. You know, mm. most times people think uh, that because you're poor that you're lazy or uneducated, mm. uh, that you chose to be poor. Mm-hmm. Um, even sometimes Christians, uh, you know, kind of relate poverty to sin. Right. Mm. That you have a a, a moral issue or Mm. that you have a a moral spiritual issue. Mm. Um, Sometimes uh, people have like skewed views of people who are impoverished because they can't understand or relate to the poor. Mm. Uh, Maybe because they have so many uh, privileges Mm -hmm. that they don't even know what it's like to live in this world. And and also like the, the big kicker is sometimes we view poverty or the people who are experiencing poverty as criminals mm. like it's, it's it's their own fault mm-hmm. and what i mean by a lack of access is 
you know, uh, people experiencing uh, different different levels of poverty, uh, they, they, they lack certain things like they lack uh, good ed- education, uh, mm-hmm. you know, clean water, job opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, resources, health care, healthy mm-hmm. food, you know, mm-hmm. like where our organization is kind of lodged in the College Park community, there's a food desert, right? Mm. And so sometimes there's even a lack lack of access to healthy food and, and, and basic needs. Mm. Um, also, like in impoverished communities, you don't see a lot of businesses thriving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see a lot of job opportunities. And everything happens in community. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a community that has, you know, affluence and, and privileges, you know, Opportunities come from community, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I often ask college students when I go and talk to them, "How did you get your internship? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, how did you, how did you get a lead on on the summer job? Mm-hmm. You know, how how are you able to go to school? Mm-hmm. You know, when was the last time you went to the doctor? Oh, you have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I try to get them to understand that sometimes people who are impoverished don't have the same access and privileges that uh, they might have. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's like the, um, the, that saying you think you um, hit a triple, but you were born on third base. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I got here by myself. Not, not really. <laughs> um, I, I think I love how you say we have to start people have, we have to start seeing people as going through problems and seeing instead of seeing people as problems um and mm. some of that is is part of um understanding that people are in certain situations that that they didn't create for themselves but also it it inhibits them from finding solutions too unlike other people who might have more connections and resources and community to help them so if you could lay out um i believe you you did this in the book is that there are sometimes access problems that there's no ability to, there are no bootstraps there aren't even boots you know you can't get a job because you don't maybe have access to id or a home and so it kind of perpetuates itself that where you can stay stuck and stay without resources and maybe you can explain um in in real terms and real example about how someone could just get stuck without resources yeah. yeah sure um so for instance there's a code right now uh in the municipal uh court uh in charlotte north carolina mm-hmm. uh, it's called uh, it's code 15-26 mm-hmm. right uh if you are experiencing homelessness right and you have personal belongings with you because like you're moving around from place to place maybe everything that you have is in a bag Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually get cited for a camping violation mm-hmm. uh, for having things with you. If you're cited, uh, you have to go to court, you have to pay fines, but if you don't have access to a job and you can't afford or you know find the money to pay the fines, then you're placed on probation and that creates uh, you know some barriers. There are cities around the country right now that prohibit and ban like sleeping in cars. Mm-hmm. or even uh, sharing food. 74% mm-hmm. of homeless people don't know where it's a safe and legal place for them to even sleep. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about the criminalizing of people experienced in this fight, mm-hmm. uh, that stigma alone can hold a person back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like we've worked with individuals, uh, this one individual in particular, uh, we were able to get him uh, back into corporate America. He was working in corporate America, fell on hard times, ended up uh, looking for lunch, digging in a dumpster behind our building. And instead of calling the police, we befriended him, uh, learned his story, got a chance to know him because we're all about proximity. Mm -hmm. um, once he got back into corporate America, uh, we invited him back out to give like this talk uh, just to kind of uh, give people some insights as to like some of the, the things and the, the, the barriers that you have to overcome. Mm. He says that one day he was sitting at a coffee shop mm -hmm. and because he had on ra uh, raggedy clothes, uh, because he mm. had a stench, because he hadn't taken a shower, mm -hmm. uh, they called the police on him. Uh, and he was cited. Mm. He says now on the other side of the experience of homelessness, mm -hmm. uh, he can go to that same coffee shop and he has clean clothes. He has an earpiece in his ear because he's, he's got a new cell phone mm -hmm. and all of these things. Mm. And people mistake him for the owner. Wow. And what he's basically saying is, although I went through the experience of homelessness, my character never changed. Mm. And what happens is, is when we have a stigma of the outward appearance of people, we create barriers for them uh, moving forward. Yeah. Mm. And it's amazing how many people are homeless. You say on page 90, more than a million, and then a quarter of those are children. And when you think about that many children moving around, maybe not going to school because they're, they're transient or they're just, you know, they're trying to find enough food. Um, it's, it's amazing to think that many people in a country as rich as ours are struggling that badly. Um, it's, it's kind yeah. of, <laughs> it's, it's really startling because, you know, you have people with enormous wealth right next to people who are just barely making it by. Yeah. And it, and it's hard too because we just had a um, we had a mom who was with her teenage boys um, and you know they were living out of a car and we were able to help them find somewhere safe to stay. But mm -hmm. she said I opted out I, I opted not to go to a shelter because my son was too old and mm. they wouldn't accept him. Wow. He you would know? have had to go. They couldn't go as a family. He was too old. No. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that, that happens every single day mm -hmm. uh, where even sometimes families are together and uh, families will choose to literally live on the streets or live out of their cars because mm -hmm. the man can't stay uh, mm -hmm. with the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, believe it or not, the resources for women and children are it's it's kind of like some of the least resources that we have in the United States as it relates to um, mm. women and children experiencing that plight, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the most vulnerable sometimes. I've, I've also heard, like you were mentioning, um, if if a dad is taking his kids out, and there's a reason, they, they also won't get accepted as a family necessarily. Um, they might try right. to split that up, split them up. And um, yeah, you, did something really incredible to bring attention to poverty and you did a march against poverty it was 386 mile walk right maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what happened and why you decided to do this and then you spoke at the Lorraine Motel for the 50th anniversary of 
Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. It would be good if you could mention some of that. Yeah. Um, you know, 50-plus uh, years ago, Martin Luther King was assassinated uh, for taking a stand against uh, poverty right there in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading this quote that uh, he had spoke at Cornell University in uh, 62, Mm. And it basically said this, I'm convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They mm. fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. Mm. And they don't communicate with, with each other because they are separated from one another. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's the crux of what we see and how we see poverty playing out in our country. The uh, mm. people who have are separated from uh, those who don't. Mm. And uh, sometimes... Uh, they're com conflicting perceptions of each other, right? And so mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, kind of take a stand in the spirit of mm -hmm. uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, stood against mm -hmm. uh, right before he was assassinated and, and bring attention to this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, but greater than that, I, I was doing it because, uh, you know, we get a chance to work with some of the most important people every single day uh, mm -hmm. uh, from our organization. We get to work. Uh, with the mom who had to walk two miles just for diapers. We get a chance mm -hmm. to be around the, the elderly mom uh, who is caring for her grandchildren, and she doesn't have enough money mm -hmm. at the end of the month, uh, and she's an elderly person. Mm -hmm. We get a chance to, to work with uh, the individual who slept behind a church mm -hmm. the night before and is uh, seeking a shower. And so mm -hmm. um, oftentimes people who are experiencing these these different stories don't have an opportunity to share their side of the story, don't have mm -hmm. an opportunity to uh, raise their voice and uh, let people know what poverty really means. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's cool to look at data, but when that data is fleshed out in individual stories, mm -hmm. uh, every single story matters to us. And I wanted to walk mm -hmm. and bring attention to the, the millions of people uh, in this country that are uh, wrestling with poverty, even either living below the poverty line mm -hmm. or they're one paycheck away mm -hmm. uh, because majority of, uh, of Americans right now are just one paycheck away mm -hmm. from flight. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that are right on the edge that you wouldn't even know also like that, yeah. that are um, maybe good at faking it because they're <laughs> living in debt. Um, and that's why, you know, some people will be quiet about their situation because they don't want people to know. But there is a lot of um, and because there's there's stigma with poverty, because if you um, and that's that's really the sad part about it. People who are in poverty or, or close to um, especially like with the housing crisis that happened, that threw so many people out on the street who couldn't afford yes. to stay in their homes. And it's not just the other people it's you know it's, it's lots of people yeah. um and it's not the other people who are those people right. you know so um walking there it, it was yeah. it was very difficult uh mm. it's probably the hardest campaign that i ever done in my life uh mm. to bring attention to this issue i mean i walked through the the, the southern states yeah right and there's some hostility toward you coming right at you yeah, I mean, I had the police called on me over 10 times. Wow. I had uh, people calling me out of my name. Um, mm. I had people trying to hit me with trucks and following me. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was 
it was very hard. And, and, and most, most times people ask me, you know, why did I continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had to come to this place. Uh, King has this quote where he's, he's talking about, you know, hate can't drive out hate. Only mm-hmm. love can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the people that was mistreating me along this way when I was walking were, were also poor. Mm. And I was walking on behalf of them as well. Mm. Right. Different kind of poverty they don't even realize they have in many yeah. ways. And and did you have did you have people helping you out to, to protect you, to walk alongside you? I think you had you mentioned one person anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh a really close friend, uh James Brookshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 walked with me majority of the way. Mm-hmm. I had uh, a guy named Johnny that was following along in the car, and a, mm. a guy named Ali. But uh, James, uh, he really stepped up, and mm-hmm. he became almost like a, a buffer for like mm. when the police would be called on me. Uh, wow. He he doesn't look like me. He's a he's a he's a guy that's uh, you know white and. Uh, he's one of my closest friends. I consider him a brother, but the police was called on me one time while he was walking with me, mm. and he asked his wife if he could take off work for the rest of the month to complete the journey. And mm. each time when we were in, like, Mississippi or Alabama or, mm-hmm. like, uh, deep southern Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, when the police would come over, he would go to the car first and kind of, mm. like, let let them know what we were doing. Yep. And that was how I was able to walk through a lot of the small towns. Jeez. Yeah, it's so it's so disheartening to hear that that even had to happen, that, that he would have to be this buffer so that you could just walk down the street. It makes me sick. It makes me sick to my stomach to think that you would have to be, like, protected by a white person to be able to walk down the street. You know, it's almost like you need to keep walking to make sure that, you clear a path, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, but thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing attention, not just to poverty, but to racism and, um, hatred and, and, uh, taking the brunt of that because people need to be aware of how hostile things are and, um, you're doing good work. And I know that it's not easy and putting yourself in danger like that. Um, it's, it's really inspirational. I appreciate that you would do that. Oh, thank you. I wanted to speak to you about Love Beyond Walls, which you founded in 2013, 2014. And you have core values. You can explain what Love Beyond Walls uh, is involved with. Obviously, poverty is part of it, but there's a whole bunch of other things that you do to mitigate poverty. And your core values are love, diversity, support, collaboration, innovation, sacrifice, and dignity. And... Um, it's at uh, lovebeyondwalls.org, I believe. Is that the website? Yep. And uh, people can go there. I encourage everybody to go there who's listening. But um, explain a little bit about what you do and, and how you do it. It's it's not um, run like a typical organization. I think it's it's run a little differently, and there's a lot of listening that goes on. Yeah, yeah. Um... So I, I would say at the at the core who, who we are, uh, first and foremost, we are an advocacy organization where we are trying to uh, 
uh, change the narrative of how people are perceived mm. who may be experiencing homelessness and poverty. Mm. Um, and we call that narrative justice. Like, mm -hmm. if I were to ask you, who controls the narrative of mm. those who are living on the streets? Mm. What would you say? You know, mm. most times that narrative is controlled by people who have never even yeah. lived on the streets. And right. so right. Uh, there has to be a, a narrative shift that happens in how uh, people are even perceived. But greater than that, um, I would say this, the, the second thing and the foundational thing that we're about is we're about community. We're about creating a safe space uh, where people who have experienced homelessness and trauma and poverty are able to come to our center uh, where relationships happen. Um, mm -hmm. We've gotten so many people off of the streets just by inviting people in mm -hmm. and creating this space of welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, uh, you know, been able to house people. We've been able to, uh, you know, educate people. We've been able to create opportunities where people were, you know, uh, use our community to figure out how they could get a job. We've seen mm -hmm. several people get get jobs. We, we've created a community where uh, we, we, we've even had people who were living on the streets that were in school, like doing mm. online classes. Wow. And the only way that they could do their work was by going to a library mm. if the computers were free. Right. right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's also a digital divide that happens. And so we mm. have a community where people are able to come and just have access to technology and showers and some of the basic things needed to uh, become self-sufficient. And the reason why our core values are love is because love is a powerful force. Mm. Um, it has uh, the power to destroy walls, literally. There mm. are so many walls that divide us. And mm. so uh, love has to be the, the core of how we operate and move and, and diversity. Um, we, we love working with people for, from all walks of life. Uh, sometimes you know, our, our, when we create these big gatherings where community happens, you'll see people from all types of nationalities gather in the banner of love to walk mm -hmm. alongside people who are uh, facing impoverishment. And, and support is a key factor uh, because we want people to know that they are, they are supported. Uh, I think one of the detrimental things that happens when you're living out on the streets is the social exclusion, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You're isolated 24-7, uh, mm -hmm. whether the people are walking past you or, uh, you know, saying slurs or not talking to you. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're living in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I love what Mother Teresa said when she says um, one of the greatest uh, things about poverty is the poverty of loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, we, we really try to provide that long-lasting support. Collaboration, we love working with a lot of different people. Um, innovation is at the core of who we are. We like doing these uh, campaigns, not just to bring attention to the issue, it's about educating people about the issue mm -hmm. because we, we believe that education leads to empathy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you knew better, you could do better, but it's like not, all, not only that, but if you knew better, maybe you could be more compassionate towards those mm -hmm. who are living on the margins. Uh, sacrifice is a core value because, you know, nothing happens apart from sacrifice mm. um, and, and dignity. Um, we're all about affirming the dignity of, of those who are living on the margins mm -hmm. because we, we live from this this position of 
you can't give anybody dignity. You can mm. only affirm the inherent worth and dignity that's already on the inside of the person. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I was having this conversation with, with somebody and talking about how a lot of the, the programs that can be helpful to people who who need something, who need a service or who need to get um, a check to help them along as they're trying to get out of a vicious circle of poverty, trying to get a job. These services are sometimes, I guess, for convenience, like it's like, oh, sign up with an online account. It's like, well, it's a little hard to do that when you're in your car and you've got nothing right. and you're, <laughs> you're looking for food. And then if you right. go to the library, those are all locked down and you can't yeah. keep your passwords and you can't make an account because it's like, well, you just use right. the library one. Well, it's not that simple because those belong to the library, not to you. And people don't realize right. that it's not set up somebody in... And some government office is like, well, we'll make this convenient. It's like it's only convenient for people who already have enough. It's not convenient for people who have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the people you're right. trying to help, it's actually a barrier. The technology is a barrier. So um, I, I don't think, you know, there's this disconnect. Uh, the people who are trying to help out, um, the people who don't have anything, don't even realize what it's like to not have anything. So they're they're putting up extra obstacles uh, at times, uh, and then all <laughs> what what could help them actually is is not helping them at all. So I think it's it's kind of like there's, and that's where organizations like yours can say, well, we could provide online access. We could uh, maybe fill in some of those gaps. Yeah. 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 We we had a guy that we were working with. It took eight months to get his birth certificate. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Eight months. Yeah, how are you going to get a job without proof of ID, right? Right. So it's, it's like nobody really realizes if you, you don't have access to the computer, you might have a little bit to surf the web at a library, but you might not be able to get what you actually need from the library access. And it, it's really, there are a lot of barriers that people don't realize now that, everything is an online account. And yeah, exactly. That's, that's, I think, the big blind spot of um, a lot of, a lot of the technological answers are, are actually huge barriers. And so it takes organizations with that foresight and actually listening to people. What are you, what are you running into right now? Because I don't think the bureaucracies of, of state and, and federal government are like, so what's the issue? You know, they're not really, they're not really saying, are you having any troubles? Well, why don't you just email us? Um, <laughs> so um, that work is so important. You have a process um, with Love Behind Walls. The process is discern, imagine, uh, collaborative, move, impact. And maybe you can explain a little bit how that works. Yeah, sure. Um, sometimes even faith faith communities and institutions are notorious for coming into a community where, mm. you know, they have their own agendas and they're trying to come up solutions with solutions or implement uh, their ideas without first uh, getting a chance to like check the, the heartbeat of the community or the mm. pulse of the community or listen to the people. And so that discerning process is all about that. Mm. It's like, who, who do we engage with? How can we listen? How can we mm -hmm. 
sit at the feet of those who are already there and hear the cries um, and the concerns of who, who's already there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from, I, I believe that, you know, all solutions arise from need, right? But mm-hmm. you can't create the solution or have the innovative idea unless you, <laughs> you know, pay mm-hmm. very close attention to what's uh, plaguing mm-hmm. the hearts and minds of those who are already in the co- community. And then, like, the imagining process is is, is not just us imagining mm-hmm. um, about what we could do, but, like, dreaming with. I remember one time mm-hmm. we had this church uh, donate us, like, a 30-passenger bus. Mm-hmm. And I was at a gas station. Um, I think we were in year one. And I was talking to this guy. His name was Leonard. He was, uh, you know, digging in the trash cans, mm-hmm. trying to find food. He's mid-60s, lost his wife, lost everything. Mm. He's an elderly person. And I just asked him after listening to a story, I was like, hey, man, like, if you had one wish, what would that wish be? Mm. And he said, I, I wish I could be made over. Mm. And I was like, well, what do you what do you mean by that? And he was talking about, I wish I had, you know, I could, like, Hmm. shave myself and groom myself and have hmm. access to a shower. If I was to go to the nearest shelter, it's over 10 miles away and I would have to probably stand in the line hmm. to go into a restroom, which is dehumanizing to shave myself in mm-hmm. that restroom. And uh, in the spirit of Leonard, so like we hmm. dreamed about creating this this mobile makeover unit where oh, we yeah. launched the first mobile makeover bus that had <laughs> a barbershop on it. Um, hmm where we could pull up and give makeovers on the spot. And so, like, uh, to date, we've given over 3,000 makeovers, I mean, in wow. impoverished community with kids on the streets uh-huh. uh, in partnerships with other organizations. Um, and that's that. That's moving into that collaborative piece. Like, how mm. do we uh, build things where we can cross over to work with other organizations that are doing important work? And what, what happens is uh, sometimes... Uh, organizations kind of function in silos and, mm. and what we're trying to do is bring people together and the moving and the impacting is just being a doer mm-hmm. um, literally mm-hmm. uh, being a doer of the word being a doer of you know what's just and what's lovely and what's compassionate yeah mm. yeah you say um, service is a lifestyle not an event and it's those I guess many events that happen over a period of time to become a lifestyle, but it's sometimes, you know, it will be seen more as an event. I'm going to go do this service thing. And it, it's really a whole lifestyle of seeing your life as service. Um, you, you talk about asking why seven times. I, I like that, um, that idea of asking why seven times. And so maybe you could talk about what that means to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was um, I, I was in a conversation. Uh, it was years back. I was talking to one of my mentors, and um, he would ask me why. And then, like, I would be around my kids, and you know, if you're playing with your kids, and they ask you, "Well, you know, how, why does the light come on?" You know, <laughs> and you tell them, "Well, it comes on because you have electricity." And then mm-hmm. it was like, "Well, why is there electricity?" And they'll keep yeah. asking you. <laughs> Yeah. Until like it, until you you don't have any more answers like <laughs> like you're on Google researching and stuff. But I I I I took those that questioning and I'm like, 
if we could, if kids could do that, you know, to try to drill down to get to the bottom of something, why can't we do that with like our deeply embedded beliefs or uh, ideologies of of our or or our perceptions about how we see other people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we uh, see somebody standing on the street holding the sign, why is the first thought, um, you know, oh, he's trying to get money for alcohol? Mm. You know, where did that thought come from? Like what created that type of bias, that embedded bias that we have on the inside? Mm-hmm. Like I'll never forget, uh, Lisa, I, w- I had did this campaign where I had lived as a homeless person mm. uh, in the heart of the city uh, for a little over a month, ate out of trash cans, was put out of shelters, mm. uh, slept under bridges in the coldest part of the, the year. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was uh, with my friend Tony who had a, a, a pretty severe illness and he needed medication. Well, we wake up one morning, uh, we could literally see our breath leaving our mouth. That's how cold mm-hmm. it was. And our mm-hmm. toes were feeling like popsicles. And mm-hmm. he's like, man, would you come with me and walk up to the corner so we can beg for dollars? And I was like, well, I asked him why, you know? Mm-hmm. I said, are, are we doing this for food? Are we doing this to get alcohol? Like, what is the why mm-hmm. are we doing this? And he says, well, I'm going up there because I want to see if I can raise money to purchase my medication. I'll never forget standing on that corner. We asked 427 people for a dollar. Wow. We only got it. We only got 11. Wow. And during the, the hours that we were out there, I mean, we experienced everything from get a job to mm-hmm. uh, people uh, chugging cans at us throwing trash at us Mm. to people like uh turning their heads and locking their doors Mm -hmm. and they had no clue Mm -hmm. uh and this is why the why question is so important because if we can get past some of those embedded uh misbeliefs that we have maybe that will remove some of the barriers and the roadblocks for us to actually get proximate to people to know their story to know their background because these are people Mm -hmm. they they're sisters their brothers their Mm -hmm. aunts their uncles their mothers their cousins Mm -hmm. they have they have a mom they have a father they have a past Mm -hmm. you know and and we got to get past all of these these judgments that we have about people so we can fully see people and know know them yeah yeah we never I have to say, I almost, I feel really emotional right now. I I have to say, I've never thought once about someone begging with a sign that they would need medicine. I have, that's never crossed my mind. Um, you know, when they write, yeah. you know, they write a sign I need, uh, or, or just, they're just yeah. waiting for, I've never thought that they need medicine. That actually has never yeah. crossed my mind. I'm so embarrassed yeah. to say that. Yeah, we, we just launched uh, this this museum called the Dignity Museum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first museum in the, the United States of America that represents the subject of homelessness. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's housed in a shipping container. And the idea behind mm. uh, creating a museum in a shipping container is because every shipping container moves around from place to place. Every shipping container has a story. And every shipping container carries things of worth and value. Mm-hmm. which is very parallel to mm-hmm. like when you're experiencing homelessness, like mm-hmm. you move around from place to place, mm-hmm. uh, you carry things of worth of value and everybody has a, a backstory. And so one of the, the stations that you do before you walk into the museum to access all of these stories, because 
what we've done is stripped the middleman from uh, the microphone from the middleman and placed it in the hands of people who've actually overcome homelessness or mm -hmm. are currently suffering with it mm -hmm. as a way to educate people. Yeah. Um, but before you go in, we allow you to create your own sign. We asked three prompts, like, what would you put on a sign if you needed $10 to stay in the shelter? What would you put mm. on a sign if you were, if you had to feed your child and you didn't have money to buy food? Mm. You know, what would you put on your sign if you needed medication mm -hmm. uh, and you, and you needed to beg for money to, um, you know, raise money for medication? And you, you'll never believe like so many people who are going through this process, we've had people break down. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had state legislators bring councilmen and women out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ha had one councilwoman like tell for the first time in front of all of her colleagues that, you know, this was my story. Mm. You know, like, mm. you have people like go through these different emotions. Mm -hmm. We've had people say, I can't do it mm. because it makes me feel too vulnerable. Oh. Um, but we do that deconstructive work uh, to get people to step into the shoes of those who, um, who actually live this second by second. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's true that, that, um, that empathy is that, is that bridge making part of love that makes us all feel one and feel the humanity yes. of each other, right? That I'm, I am you and you are me um, and we need each other and we, we need to help each other. And, and, um, and when that's broken because of not being near each other, not being in each other's lives and, and putting up these barriers of fear like you talk about um, or just being unfamiliar with each other, there really isn't all, all sorts of evil can happen, you know, um, and we can't you know, we can't really hope to survive, I, I don't think. Um, it's really powerful. I, you have on page 73, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Henry Nouwen. Uh, yes. I, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, <laughs> kindred spirit <laughs> uh, likes Henry Nouwen. Uh, and he has this incredible quote that you include here. And it says, how can we embrace poverty as a way to God when everyone around us wants to become rich? Poverty has many forms. We have to ask ourselves, what is my poverty? Is it lack of money, lack of emotional stability, lack of a loving partner, lack of security, lack of safety, lack of self-confidence? Each human being has a place of poverty. That's the place where God wants to dwell. How blessed are the poor? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, this means that our blessing is hidden in our poverty. We are so inclined to cover up our poverty and ignore it that we often miss the opportunity to discover God who dwells in it. Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden. Oh, it, that's just such wisdom. And, and maybe you can talk about what that means personally for you. Yeah. When you think about poverty, I, I think we only think about poverty as material, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like, if we're really honest, we're all impoverished in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, some are material, uh, others of us are immaterial, where mm -hmm. it's not as as visible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of started thinking, like, what if, what if that was a place where 
God could reveal to us um, the worth of, of, of his love and, and, and what he's done for us as a way of creating a bridge of empathy to have compassion towards those who may be materially poor, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which is so, which is so powerful because, um, it's, it, it creates humility in the heart mm. that when we really understand that, um, <laughs> we're all poor in some way, mm-hmm. how dare we withhold from other people what we would want from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We're all in the same boat completely. Yeah. It's just a matter of the details. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Like if, if, if I desire compassion, why would I withhold that uh, same compassion towards somebody who may be materially poor? And and it also helped me to reframe where real worth and value come from, Mm. comes from. So like Mm -hmm. if, when you think about it, how do we measure worth? in society and culture today. Mm. Most times it's like who you are around or what school did you go to mm. or how much money do you have in your bank account or where do you live? You know, what kind mm. of car you drive? All of these external mm-hmm. things, right? Mm. And so if you don't have those things, right, uh, does that mean that person is worthless? Mm. No, but if we start with the Imago Day uh, that we were all created in God's image, then that means that everybody is assigned worth and value. Mm-hmm. And if we start there, mm-hmm. uh, you level the playing field and everybody's yeah. deemed worthy. Yeah. And and that's that's the truth of who we are. We are all in made in the Imago Day and it and we're all on the equal playing field. Then we make up our own, you know, asinine rules about who's, what status means or what, you know, uh, privilege means or, or whatever. And those are our man-made <laughs> Uh, creations <laughs> that uh, right. that get really skewed and evil. Um, mm. Yeah, in in your book, I see you. You talk a lot about your experiment in um, experiencing homelessness, and you really learned a lot of lessons of just how you know you you do a lot of walking, you do a lot of waiting in line, and a lot of things. Um, Maybe you can talk about just a little bit about some of the surprises. Like you just mentioned one of them, which was uh, asking for money for medicine and basically being treated like garbage and not being uh, not receiving much generosity. But what were some of the other things that surprised you while you were spending time out there with the homeless? Yeah. um, One, I'll never forget it. It was night one. Uh, I could hardly sleep, but this community had rallied together. They got me a tent. They got me blankets. They, Mm. like, brought me in. Mm. And it was this shattering of the notion that, uh, Mm. you know, people without are to be feared, right? Mm. And it's like, no, these, these people are, like, loving and, like, accepting and created place for me when they didn't have to and gave out of their poverty right and it mm. was so like earth shattering to me mm. that sometimes people who have privileges and access won't share it in the same way yeah um, that those who really don't have as much I mean they shared their we have it we shared a pizza mm. but I, I remember that night uh, it got cold it was raining mm. 
mm-hmm. and I couldn't sleep, and many of us couldn't sleep, mm. and it was around 13 degrees oh, in geez. the middle of December, right? And mm-hmm. so we didn't have firewood, uh, mm-hmm. but we had a lot of donated clothes that people were bringing out, and guess what we had to use as firewood? Mm-hmm. Donated clothes. We threw it in a pit, and we all stood around the fire, and we had to watch clothes burn mm. to keep warm. Wow. Um, there was another time where it was getting down below 10 degrees. It was a, nearing like two or three degrees that night. Mm. And uh, we were walking around. I had socks on my hands uh, mm. for gloves. And we walked two miles. Uh, we were trying to make it to this one shelter that is now closed um, to get there by 7. Well, it was cold and you know, once you walk a while and it's cold and it's really, really cold, like you start to get stiff a little bit, right? Mm. And uh, we finally arrived. It was seven, seven ten, I think. Mm. And the worker turned us around and said, nope, you're late. Sorry. Mm. So we, we left there and had to walk another two miles to this Waffle House in, in the downtown part of the city. We were already tired because the cold air kind of like strips you of your energy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made it to the Waffle House, and it was this generous guy that uh, like bought our table a cup of coffee. As long as we, you know, had something patronized the business, we could stay in there. Mm-hmm. The manager came over to us and said, I know you all are homeless. Don't fall asleep. Mm. If you fall asleep in here, going to have to put you out. Mm. As he's telling me this, I'm looking over my shoulder because there's another lady experiencing homelessness, and she, she was nodding, and she had a cup of coffee in front of her. And he yelled at her, and he said, ma'am, I'm telling you one more time, if you fall asleep, I'm, I'm going to put you out. And so... Uh, he walks back around the counter and the look in her eyes, you know, when you can tell when somebody just has not had enough sleep. I mean, mm-hmm. she had bags on her eyes and she just looked weary and it's like three degrees outside mm-hmm. and she fell asleep again. And this guy literally put her out and we never saw her again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You don't know. And so like, you think about, did she freeze to death? Could we have, fro- you know, yeah. frozen yeah. to death being out there in the elements um, in the heart of the winter? And you learn all of those different things, you know, like even how shoes are comparable to tires for mm. people who have cars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and, you know, many people out there, sometimes they're donated shoes that don't even fit and they're, they're walking on the back of the heels or sometimes they're having to put on five and six pair of socks just to fit a, a pair of shoes that they can't even, you know, fit normally. And mm-hmm. like you learn all of these different things mm-hmm. um, and how that strips you away emotionally. Like, mm-hmm. and people may say, get a job. What do you mean get a job? I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm going to stay warm tonight. Get it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, get up off your lazy butt. How, what, what do you mean? I'm thinking about where my next meal is coming from. Mm. There are mornings where we would literally get up and I would ask uh, like Mark or uh, Tasha, I was like, man, how are we going to eat it then? And they, they were literally saying, we got to pray for food. Mm. Mm. That's, a, that's a different level. It takes courage to be poor is what I'm saying. And then they could be, some places they could be cited for sharing food with each other. Yeah. 
it's crazy. Yeah. I can't, I cannot, I, I, I cannot, and what would be the point of that? I mean, I guess, I mean, I just, do they think that if they put a law out that it'll stop people from becoming homeless and poor? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around that sort of law. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, you know, it's thoughts around, uh, you know, foodborne illnesses. And then uh, they try to say, like, uh, you don't want to make people dependent. But, like, you know, if you don't have any food, that's poor nutrition. And if you're not uh, eating on a day daily basis, that's putting you at a health risk. So it's it's kind of like self-defeating in many ways. Yeah. So from your experience being out there, if if um, somebody listening to this has in mind, oh, I know there's a little a little community of homeless people. How could I help them? Uh, what could I do? What could I give them that might help? Or what could I do in my own way that might alleviate some burden for them? What would you suggest? Yeah, I, I would say uh, if you're really serious about it, start showing up mm -hmm. um, and, and focus on one. Mm -hmm. Um, who's your one? I normally ask people. Mm. Uh, you've seen your one. You've even passed by your one many times. Mm. But like build relationships with one. Um, because most times when people think that they have to, uh, you know, help everybody get off the streets, they get overwhelmed and they end mm. up doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, and I normally tell my story at this point. So like, I remember uh, being 16 and a half years old. There's uh, one, one night where, you know, I'm not going to sleep in my house. I'm going to stay at a park. And I call my friend Eric to ask his father. I'm, I'm a teenager now. Mm -hmm. If I could come over and eat a meal with his family because I wasn't going to have anything to eat that night. Mm -hmm. um, Eric's dad allowed me to come over. And I'll never forget him walking towards the car with a hot dog and a soccer ball. Um, he handed me the, the hot dog and he tapped me on my chest. And he says, look at me in my eyes. He's one of the first guys I could ever look in into his eyes and he says you're going to be a leader one day mm. i said well what do you mean he says uh here here's your soccer ball he <laughs> says you're you're just like this soccer ball and i was like what what do you mean he says hmm. the soccer ball didn't ask for the field that it was placed on and it was placed in between two teams hmm. um and just like me and you and everybody else we don't ask uh, for our families or, you know, the two mm -hmm. parents that we, we've been getting. But you've been kicked around, mm -hmm. just like this soccer ball. And he says, you want to know how this soccer ball, ball survives all of the kicks? I was like, how? And he says, because of what's on the inside. Uh, the manufacturer of this soccer ball created it in a way that it knew it would be kicked around and it would survive the kicks. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're going to have to tap on in, into what's on the inside of you. He says, you want to know how else it survives? He's told me to turn the ball around. Mm -hmm. I looked at, at the ball and it read, made for all purpose. He says, you mm -hmm. have purpose. God has a purpose for you. And he starts speaking into my life. Mm -hmm. And lastly, he says, this soccer ball survives because every soccer ball has a goal. And he says, you're going to have to get some goals. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll never forget starting my organization year one and he passed away from cancer. Hmm. I was standing at his funeral up and I was sharing words because hmm. he was really close to me. Mm -hmm. He was a guy I could call when I was like, should I marry her? Mm -hmm. He was a guy I called when I was like, should I 
you know, get involved in ministry. He was the guy I could call mm. when I, I said, should I put myself through college? And he would always encourage me. Mm. He never really fully did anything for me, but he did everything for me because he gave me words of encouragement and he empowered me and he saw me. Mm-hmm. He saw me in my mm-hmm. brokenness. He saw me in my humanity and he mm. encouraged me to death. He has no idea that I'm doing an interview with you <laughs> uh, because he's passed away and that this this book or these words or mm-hmm. however God uses this to empower people. Mm-hmm. But he saw me. I was mm-hmm. his one and he had many other ones. Uh, he spent time with me. Uh, and normally I tell people like before you even start going to a community or like focusing on one, you have to create margin in your life where it doesn't become something that you do one time and then you don't do it for the rest of the year. You have to create that. You got to get things off of your plate and create enough margin in your life where this can become a lifestyle and a rhythm. Hmm. And that's the way Mr. Moore lived. He had the rhythm and he had the lifestyle and he shared and passed along wisdom and information. Hmm. Uh, some of the most important information that I've ever obtained came from uh, this guy hmm. and it's bearing fruit. Wow. So I would encourage your listeners, you know, find one, create margin in your own life where you can keep showing up. I'm not I'm not saying do things for that person, but walk alongside that person. You never know what someone might become uh, by just giving them a little support. Mm. And he had his eyes open and, and had room. He wasn't too busy to see where you were and 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 look at you and and speak into your life. I think that sometimes we're we're so busy we could miss those chances. That is really beautiful that his life had plenty of margin like you say. Um that is really really powerful. And he didn't have to he didn't have to empty his wallet for you or pay your way through college. He just told you the truth that you could see in a little kernel in, in yourself and and then that could come to a plant to a to uh you know become rooted in your life that's so that's so beautiful to hear Mm. Mm. (laughs) thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it um because i know i know some people are like well i don't i don't really have much you know and they don't think that their life experience or that their encouragement matters that much but actually it can literally change a person's whole life it does i mean mr moore wasn't a wealthy man and and that's and that's what I want people to know. Everybody has something to offer. Everyone. Every single person. And you never know how how an interaction, a word of encouragement, mm-hmm. taking somebody to breakfast, you know, helping somebody with a resume, mm-hmm. using your already natural talents, how you're wired to serve somebody in that way could push them forward. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I thank God for his prophetic voice in your life and, and for your life and how God is using you in tremendous ways. The the ripple effects you will not even know about probably until heaven, uh, but it's it's been an honor to talk to you. Do you have any final words or um, requests of my listeners before we go? Yeah, uh, I would just leave them with this. Take time to get... A, a chance to uh, know people. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>